Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. Hello and welcome back to the Operation Cape podcast. I am with the wonderful Jess from the Better Sex Ed Project. Jess and I met on Instagram. And isn't it funny how you create these friendships and relationships through online media? Like, I just love that we can do that. And it's such a powerful place to find allies and friends. So we met through social media and Jess bought my book, both in printed form and audio book and I really thank you for your support, Jess, in that. And we've been talking back and forth for some time about certain topics similar to what we're about to talk about in this podcast. So we'll get there. But I just thought I would let Jess introduce herself and why she started the Better Sex Ed um, Project. So welcome, Jess. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so I started the Better Sex Ed Project. It was kind of a lot different, actually, when it started to what it is now, I think it was about December 2021 I started it. And it was initially I started it because I just wanted an outlet, um, my life, you know, and how that's going sexually. And I, like my personal Instagram had family and family friends and I sort of thought that wasn't really the place to do that. They didn't really sign up for that kind of content. So I canvassed you know amongst my friends and said you know who would who would be interested in following something like this where we can discuss our relationships and sex and our bodies and everything openly and heaps of people jumped on board and that coincided with me starting my psychology degree and I'm hoping to do my master's in sexology and a lot of courses on the side that are more sex ed related or like sexual health related so it just sort of grew from there. Yeah, that's so cool. And it, it's interesting because I don't think people realise how, well, maybe they do, but they don't really think about it, how people are crying out for more conversation around this and and more talk about sex. Oh, absolutely. And sexual health. Yeah, well, I live in rural Victoria, so two hours from Melbourne. And my account, even though I follow a heap of accounts like mine, hundreds, my account might actually be the first of that kind that a lot of people locally follow because they just hadn't been exposed to it or, you know, hadn't thought to look at something like that. And now I know that a lot of them have then branched out. Now they're following a heap of different stuff, and which is great, Yeah, um, which is the whole idea. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective and, I mean, you know, I when I wrote my book I reflected a lot on my own experiences as a young teen as a child and 
It wasn't until I was writing about my experiences around sex and consent and things like that, which is included in the book, that I realised how much I didn't know until I was older. And I yeah. think... I think that's what we're we're coming to this realization. When you're a parent, you start actually reflecting on your own experiences and the lack of knowledge you might have had and how you had to stumble through things. And I'm sure you can relate, like you're a similar age to me and you know, you've got young children and I've got a, a daughter and it's your parenting that makes you put a spotlight on your own life and what you want your own children to Absolutely. know about. And that's what we've kind of connected over is the fact that we have very similar beliefs in that children need to know more about sexual education than what we're already giving them or that what what the education system's given them. Yeah. But before you got to, so what led you down the path of sex, sexual health, sexual education, uh, sexology, all of that stuff? Well, I'd always just been quite open sexually and I'd always enjoyed discussing sex and that kind of thing with my friends and I wanted to do psychology for a long time and I I wanted to be able to combine the two because I mean we are I'm 37 and I was what 35 36 when I made that decision and we're at an age where people are you know getting divorced or you know they're into they are single now after being married for a long time and they're exploring their sexuality or they're in a relationship where their sex life's going nowhere and it's a big part of people's lives, but no one's talking about it or yeah. they are only very, you know, surface level and they're not looking at the reasoning behind why things are happening this way. And it just it frustrates me. So yeah. I think I want to be able to help in that area and help people understand that it doesn't have to be the way we've been told it is. Oh, 1000%. I mean, I've been married 22 years and with my husband 27 years. I don't know if I've told you that. I've been with my husband a long time, since 15 years old, if anyone um, who hasn't followed my journey doesn't know. And yeah, um, yeah, and like, so you either, and what actually happens and what we've been led to believe is, is it's almost like, (laughs) and this is probably a really terrible analogy, right? But we either recycle our partners and like learn to like reuse them or we throw them out in the trash, mm-hmm. right? And that's what as our yeah. society does. We just throw our partners away and try and find a new one and then we're finding the same shit literally and mm-hmm. we're never actually evolving. But it, it can be better than that. Like I know that my husband and I have been through so many phases in our in our lifetime, continue to change through phases. But the one thing that remains is that we decided we're not going to give up on each other and we're going to have open and honest conversation that's that's the key so yeah that's probably the biggest thing there's you know so many people message me and ask me you know questions and or how do I say this to my or how do I discuss this with my partner I'm like you just have to discuss it like I can't there's no magic pill there's no you know you really just have to be having open conversations around sex, sexuality in your relationship. Yeah. And I mean, from my own experiences, you know, from 15 to now, and I, I'm 42. God, that went so fast. Like, believe it. Life's too short yeah. to not have these conversations and to be unhappy, right? That's it. Exactly. Um, you know, so many people are in relationships. So I can see from outside that if they just spoke about this particular thing one or the you know everything could change 
Mm. But we're conditioned in a way to not speak about it. So I don't blame them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we're conditioned to not speak about anything that's uncomfortable or or scary or fearful. I mean, look, we'll move on to the fact that we're here to help prevent child sexual abuse. We're here to help children grow up to be healthy, well-adjusted, you know, well, good contributors to society. Because ultimately, and this is a question that's been on my mind the last few months, right? And it just plays over in my mind. I don't know about you, but some some themes play over in my mind. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what's the answer to this question, right? And the question I keep asking myself is what is the point, not what is the point, but why are we parents? Like what is our role as a parent? What is our responsibility as a parent, right? And this is this this theme that's yeah. playing around in my head. What is our role and responsibility as a parent? And, I mean, there's different reasons why, you know, obviously we want the the world to continue and we want people to continue and stuff like that. But when you give birth to a child, I don't think we actually give that enough thought before we have children. No. <laughs> and if and we, we don't think... know, often, I mean, I was young, I was well, 25. Yeah. We don't think about it enough. And then, and then, and then your children come along and you start thinking, huh, uh, this is harder than what I thought it was going to be. Right. And this is like, there's more to this than what I think there's meant to, <laughs> like, no one tells you, no one warns you, especially when they hit that teenage years. I mean, I have some constantly say, why didn't anyone warn me how hard this was going to be? Because this is freaking hard. Like I, I just sometimes I just can't believe how hard parenting can be. And it's even harder when you haven't had any good role models. I don't know about your experience, but I didn't have very good parenting role models. Yeah, I remember that from your book. Um, yeah. Oh, look, yes, and yeah, I did have some and I had some that weren't, if you know yeah. what I mean. So I think, yeah, it's hard. I know that sometimes we we have children because we want to give them the love that we weren't given or give it in a way that we would would have received it better. Yeah. Um, but that's not a really good like reason to have a child either. No. Unfortunately, I but I think that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, I, I this is a theme and a, a thought that I've been having and. But one of the things that I want, but I, what I truly believe after 10 years in the police, seeing what I've seen and, and talking to the families and kids that I've seen and talked to is that as a parent, we have a duty to them to ensure that they have all the tools to get through to adulthood happy and healthy and as well adjusted as possible. Yeah. That's our job. Yeah. Um, that's it. And sometimes yeah. it's hard to figure out what the best way to do that is. Like I think I mentioned the other day that I'm very like super defensive, like very protective. I'm the you know my first instinct is to jump in and fix it, and it's like it's hard. Not I'm very to. mama bear. Um, but I'm learning now. My children are getting older, like the girls are twelve and nearly eleven. Sometimes that's not what they need. What I want to do is not what they need. I can so relate. I've got a 15-year-old who thinks she's ready for the big wide world, you know, and she wants mm. to be out there like some days she's like, I'm nearly an adult. And then in the next breath she's like, I'm not ready to do that. So, like, there's yeah. this challenge that to not do too much for them. But my point about all of this is that if we don't give them the tools, then who's going to give it to them? If we don't right. prepare them from the world, who's going to give it to them? And you know, yeah. we've there's been this big uproar last week about this book called Welcome to mm-hmm. Sex, which I have 
I have, I'm all for, regardless of what your opinions or your thoughts are about, you know, a book which is so comprehensive. It's an amazing book, in my opinion, for young people and for even some adults could learn some bloody stuff in that. Oh, a hundred percent. But um, I'm all for it because I know that our young people are struggling to to get correct and comprehensive and safe information. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, look, it just baffled me in the sense that I couldn't quite get my head around the fact that people were upset that there was just a book sitting on a shelf that no one's forcing them to read. It's not going to go into schools. I assume it won't go into any schools. No kid is just going to go and buy it. And if you do buy it and you find the content inappropriate for your child at that age, don't to them. It just didn't make any sense. And I do think a lot of it was it started with the catching on to something smaller and then it just caught Which There are people who are always going to be absolutely committed to misunderstanding you and your message. Uh, and that's the really vocal minority that was shown last week. I think it was Katrina Marsden said that something like 90% of parents wanting more comprehensive sex education for their children. Mm. Most parents are on board. It's The thing is most people don't know what age appropriate means and most people are relying on the school system to do it or a book that they can just give to the kid to read. They're not wanting to have the conversation because it's uncomfortable for them, which I understand. So for me, my goal, I want to teach parents how to have the conversations with their kids. And I think that's where you come from too. Yeah, It's not about us teaching their kids. I really want to help parents become comfortable in having those conversations and knowing what's age appropriate. Yeah. And I guess my previous thoughts about the roles and responsibility come into that, right? It's our role and our responsibility to ensure our kids have this information. And I'm not talking about teaching your kid about oral sex or anal sex or anything. I'm talking about teaching your kid, you know, that there's different types of sex. It's all sex. And it could be, and you could be asked, you could be pressured, you could be coerced. You could be, you know, it could be something you want to try. And maybe here's how you can do it safely if this is ever on the, on the, you know, horizon, right? Yeah. Um, And if they're eight and they're coming to you asking about, 69 or anal (laughs) use your common sense no one's saying you need to teach an eight-year-old about that yes that's right you know what I mean that just yeah I know lost their shit (laughs) I think they lost I think they lost and like you said it's it's a small minority of parents who are scared and fearful and worry and they're they they're they're not willing to go past and have a conversation because it goes against their, like their fear is, you know, and fear is dangerous. It can bring up, you know, fear is dangerous. I know when it comes to child sexual abuse, this is why children are forced into keeping quiet. They don't end up reporting. Fear is very dangerous when given too much time and energy. So we yeah. can we can either hide behind our fear or we can step through the fear and find out why we're fearful and then work on that. I really wish the parents who are up in arms about it could understand how protective comprehensive sex ed and consent education can be. Yep. Because that would be their ultimate fear. They're, they're using the words grooming and just none of it makes sense because what we're trying to do is help kids get their voice and their knowledge so they or you know, doing the best they can and the best we can to prevent sexual harm, yep. whereas they think it's the opposite. 
It yeah. Just, yeah. It's very frustrating in that sense. Well, my 15 year old daughter actually said to me, cause I showed her the book and um, we'd seen it on a shelf in a bookstore. We didn't see it at Big W. I went to go get it. Cause I was like, right, I've got to have this book now because I need to know what's in it so that I can talk about it. Uh, That's you right. Know. You need to know what's in it. Not just to throw it at her and say, here you go. They yeah. Learn that. And have an educated opinion versus an, uh, taking someone else's opinion. Like this is the other thing that really frustrates me is that as parents, we should be the thought leaders and the role models for using critical thinking to actually find mm-hmm. out information, right? We yeah. should be encouraging our children to not take what they see on an internet or someone else's opinion and go and research and think about and find out what they think about something because that's encouraging critical thinking skills which they need to make better decisions to be better parents want their kids to have critical thinking skills though (laughs) probably not because then they argue with them (laughs) Mm. i know (laughs) another thing that really blew my mind is the amount of parents who are losing their shit about it but i guarantee you they would have kids with tablets yes phones on social media that are yeah there's so much access to much much more harmful yes. information yes than a book sitting on a shelf and, and you're right it's just so easy to let them do that now yeah you're right and the thing i i had to laugh right and that's what? not the way i parent yeah no nah, me neither but the i had to laugh because I had the thing i I laughed most about was they were talking about, you know, it's being it's on big W shelves. What child, really, mm-hmm. most children don't go mm-hmm. through the reference section of big W and will look at books. <laughs> they've got a no. they've got an iPhone or a tablet that's gonna give them everything they need. That's their dictionary and thesaurus and encyclopedia. Like no I'm, kids going, oh okay, I've got 20 bucks in my pocket money. I'm gonna go and buy this book secretly. Like, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, unfortunately, there might be some children out there that will because Because they'll hear about it. Yeah, exactly. And my biggest concern is that, you know, say a a child that is LGBTQI plus Mm. and, you know, so many of them are so vulnerable because they they don't they're scared to talk to their parents they're scared to ask for help they're scared to find out information they're going to the internet I know this for a fact Mm -hmm. because this is where they get groomed and abused online. And so they're going to get it from someone who's going to use them and abuse them versus a book that's going to give them the information that is helpful to them that, that they, they need can read to know. Through with their parents and they can ask their parents questions at the time. I know. So that's that's my biggest concern about a book like that being vilified so much is there's so many young people out there who are needing Absolutely. that sexuality education information, not just, you know, heterosexual young children, young people, not children. But, you know, I'm talking about LGBTQI plus young people as well. And they are Absolutely. a very vulnerable minority in our community. So um, That's right. I I feel like how, so you, you're, you're like me, we want to help parents learn how to talk about this stuff with their kids. What mm-hmm. is some ways that you would suggest, you're a parent, I'm a parent, we've we've managed to navigate these conversations with our young people and not be scared of them and and probably having honest and open conversations. What are some of the, your tips or hints on talking about it with your young people? Um, well, I actually loved it when you were talking in your book, how you were speaking to your daughter, that the whole idea of talking uh, in the car. Yes. I thought that was really good because 
you know, you don't want to be eyeballing them and making them feel like uncomfortable or like this is a really big deal. Like you just want to let them sit there and they don't have to look at you because like, you know, not all kids like, you know, to be one-on-one like that either, but they can not feel that intensity, but they also can't get out. Yeah, I love <laughs> I that. I like that too. So <laughs> I think that's a really great tip. Yeah. Um, I really liked that. I, that's not how I did it, but I, I think that is how I will approach future, you know, sensitive conversations for sure. Well, as long as you're, it's just the like, if it's a, you know, an age appropriate conversation, I think it's as long as there's not other kids in the car or, or oh, yeah, whatever. Absolutely. But I also like the funny thing is, is that my daughter now, it's like, it's like the cone of silence. Like, you know, remember, yeah. I'm trying to think of what show it was where they had that cone that came down. What yeah. show was that? I don't know what it was, but I remember. Get smart. Yeah. It was get smart. And it's sort of like that for me and my daughter, right? So when it's just the two of us, if there's yeah. going to be something really sensitive that she wants to talk about, she brings it up in the car herself because yeah. she's, because she's like, this is my cone of silence. This is where we talk about stuff like this. So yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what about um, what about approaching like what age do you think that young people should be or young children should be talking about sex or parents talking to kids about sex? I think the first conversations that you have regarding that start as a sexual conversation actually are about consent and they don't begin as sexual conversations. So yeah. bodily autonomy and consent, those conversations start as soon as your child can understand them. And yes. they're not sexual at the time or in context, but it leads into that later on. Yes. So, you know, as soon as they're young enough to, if they pull away from someone, they don't want to give them a hug or whatever, okay, you know. Yeah. You've got to let them, it's not about being rude and it's not about being permissive. It's really teaching a much more important lesson that your body is your body. You you can still be polite and say hello or, you know, something like that, but have to let an older person, a person in a position of power over you, have access to your body. Yes. And if we teach them, as you know, that they should, how are they then going to be able to defend themselves with when somebody who, like, I think, is it 90% of yep. children who are abused or abused by someone known to them or related to them? Yes. You're like, how are those kids going to say no, actually? if they've never been taught that they don't have to hand their body over to anybody. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it goes against, it goes against the, the, if we're not uh, allowing our children to have those, have that choice, it goes against the protective behaviors, things that we want to teach them to stay safe and be safe. Um, I don't think parents understand the connection between those early lessons yeah, that have nothing to do with sex and later on when they're in a bedroom at the age of 14 and yeah. somebody wants to have sex with them and they don't want to have sex but they don't know how to say no because all they've ever been taught is to be polite and allow yes. people to do what they want. You can't oh my teach God. them one thing their whole life and then expect them to then turn around and say, oh, no, buddy, yes. uh, not today. It doesn't work oh, that way. I'm so glad you said that because... I was before this interview. I was having a having a thought about my own ch- childhood sexual experiences, right? My own teen experiences, and it's it's exactly that. It was exactly that for me. I wasn't allowed to say no to my parents. I wasn't allowed to say no to anyone. I had to do what I was told. 
And so when mm. it came to any sexual experiences, I was I just went along with it even if I didn't want to do it. So yeah. this is this is the ex, this is what we don't want for our children. We don't want that for our kids because it might not leave That's them right. traumatized or abused, but it's still got, there's the potential for it to happen. That's right, and it's not going to help them feel good. That's the other thing is I think as young women, the narrative we were taught was mm-hmm. that yep, sex is going to hurt for a while. You're never taught about your pleasure. You're only taught about the boys' pleasure, and you were only ever taught that it was boys and girls. Me <laughs> not realizing that every crush I had for the first like 15 years of my life was on girls, just thinking I had really intense friendships. Yeah. Um. You know, we're just we were taught so much things that now middle-aged women are taking and going, oh my god, like it all makes sense now. Like if oh. we can avoid those narratives for our children, they're going to be much happier, more well-rounded adults, I think. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old who knows her. I mean, we've been, I've been talking about all of this stuff since she was eight. I, I didn't yeah. actually introduce. So I started protective behaviours education or body safety education at three. Like, mm-hmm. like you suggested, you know, it was talking about consent, talking about things that weren't related to sexual experiences or sex. Yeah. At eight, I wasn't really ready for the conversation, but it came at us anyway because she's come home and said, I don't ever want to have SEX. And I'm like, what the hell are you, what do you know about SEX? Like my mind is like I was a detective at the time, yeah. freaking <laughs> out inside going, what do you know imagine. about SEX, you know, and I wrote about it in my book. But, you know, at that time I was like, well, it's now or never, like just go in. And you know what? She wasn't even, was not phased by it one little bit. And more so it was, and and the thing is, is that when I did talk to her about it, I was like, what do you know? Like, what do you know about SEOs? And she told me what she knew and I confirmed it and, you know, and I also helped her understand it a bit more. And the funny thing was, is it made no difference to her day it made no difference to her life. And oh, she God. went on and started asking adults if they still have sex. Like it was so funny. Like, <laughs> she was going around asking her grandparents if they still have sex. And like, because to her, That's it was amazing. just another thing. It's just another Not thing that deal. parents do, that adults do. Because that was the other thing. I just said, yes. this is what adults do. It's not for kids. It's not yeah. for young, you know, it's for adults. And then, you know, mm-hmm. at 10, 11, 12, you know, we started the the masturbation, the female pleasure. We talked about, you know, what yeah. the body does, the changes in the body because she went through puberty at 10. And so it was like normal. It's we just can't. And now yeah. she, you know, at 15 and, you know, she has my, I have her permission to talk about these things. So, you know, she talks about bodily discharge and, you know, like she talks about her menstrual cycle in full detail and she talks about everything because she feels safe and I am confident that you know and it's not to say it won't happen but I am confident that my daughter knows her rights her body rights she knows how to say no she knows how to what her what she should and you know not should there's no shoulds what she gets to choose and doesn't get to choose yeah and I'm sure your kids are around the same because you're probably doing the same conversations having the same talks yeah, well, I'm. Um, I did. My girls were quite early because they were really curious and very mature. I think because also because I had their brother when they were like five and four. So I think yeah. maybe they were five and six when we we had like a basic sex talk. But yeah, um, that usually happens when there's a baby 
yeah. <laughs> but then we've just sort of continued those chats over the years. But I think I said the other day in my stories, my son is six and I tried maybe earlier in the year to have the conversation with him because he brought something up and I had to have that a really good book, Making Babies, I think it's called. And we just got to the sex part and he was like, no, I don't really want to do this. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, some um, kids will, some kids won't. They don't. And we just stopped. And I said, yeah, when you want to talk about it more, we can talk about it more. Then the other day he said something about sex and um, like in, you know, context. And I was like, oh, so how do you know about that? You know, and he clammed up. So even though he's been brought up in the most open. Yeah. Sex positive family environment. Yeah. He just somehow, for some reason for him, it's a bit awkward. And it was just him and I talking and I, he he's like, I don't, I said, what do you think sex is? And he's like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say. And I said, okay. Well, if you don't want to say that, that's okay, but can you tell me how you know? And he said, yes. oh, from the book, that book that we have. And I was like, okay. He's never gone back to it, but mm-hmm. I think he, that's just what he's remembered. And it was basically like people get naked yes. um, together. Um, that was his knowledge of it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, do you want to talk about it more? He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, and like, uh, some okay. kids aren't ready. Some kids won't talk no. about it. Some kids will no, come up is very different to the girls in a lot of ways too so yeah I'm like just as long as you know you can talk to me about it whenever you want I'm like this is what I do you know yeah um so you don't have to be embarrassed I'm not embarrassed but I did sort of reiterate only thing I really want you to understand at the moment is you know what what do we say about your body you know your body is your body and nobody else is allowed to touch it and you know nobody's allowed to ask to see it unless you know so on and so forth so and he's all over that yeah and that's beautiful a beautiful example of letting them lead the conversation and there is going to come a time like I mean you you know the average age of seeing porn for the first time is eight and it's usually led by friends you know like friends sharing it in the playground or or when they go to other people's houses or you know if they've got older siblings or whatever so, you know, those conversations are really much hand in hand about, you know, if you ever see anything on a device that's, you know, two adults naked, um, looks like they're wrestling, mm. you need to close it down and come and tell me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's exactly. private. They're private images. Um, they're private movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, my kids don't at this point. They don't have their own devices. Yes. Um, <laughs> Good work. <laughs> ah, controversial move somehow um but no not at all I wish I just more parents did that like I they've got this far it's it's a stance we've always had and we've got this far so we're just going to see how far we can go my 12 year old's going to high school next year and a lot of her friends are getting phones because they're going to high school she absolutely isn't and she knows she isn't she's not she won't even bother asking because it's just always been the conversation she has a space watch so she yep. can message and receive calls from and make calls to approved numbers. Yeah. So there's that. But, and we have like a really battered old Samsung tablet that the three of them share that, you know, they can't do much on. And yeah, they can use my computer for Canva or, you know, things that they want to use it for. But I just don't see the necessity of it for my children at this point in time. I understand some kids need to have smartphones. Some kids have to have them for whatever reasons, family reasons, you know, that kind of thing. Kids in care often have to 
yeah have devices and that's totally acceptable and understandable but my my children they don't need that look They're, and they haven't grown up with it so they actually then don't feel that hard done by about it I don't think I believe your kids will turn around to you in a couple of years time and say thanks for keeping us off social media and thanks for keeping us off the internet <laughs> they will no I I no word of a lie my daughter came to me when uh, we went to Thailand in February for my daughter's 15th birthday. It wasn't for her birthday, but we happened to be there for her birthday. Yeah. And we were walking along a street and she just said to me, Mum, thank you so much for keeping me off social media for as long as you did. And I said, why do yeah. you say, why? Like, First of all, I was taken aback that she was thanking me. Second of all, I was like, why do you say that? Because I'm, I'm a why person. I want to know the why behind everything. And she said, because you, by you not allowing me to have social media actually has protected me from all of the drama and the bullshit that everyone else has had to deal with. At school, yeah. And that's something my daughters are even starting to understand now because so many of their friends do have access to even Messenger for Kids and that kind of thing. And they're seeing their friends being really upset because someone's saying something to them on there. And I'm like, see, girls, I'm like, I just don't want you to have to go through that. And, like, if you can't be part of that conversation... You can't get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I try and explain like once upon a time, yes, like you'd, you'd have issues with kids at school, but you would go home and that's it. Yeah. It's done. But now it keeps going. It's it's your problem 24-7. Yeah. And kids don't get over things because they can keep it going. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I don't want you to have to deal with that. There's no, There's nothing good about that. You can't learn anything positive from that. It just creates anxiety and there's no yeah. respite from it and that we've got children. You know, if I had my time over again, and I've said this before, I would have delayed my daughter having electronic devices for as long as possible. But when my daughter was young, we didn't know better at the time and no. we just went, oh, my God, look at this new babysitter. And, you know, like, oh, and so I, but I wish that I had the knowledge I now have now and if I was a parent today, I would I would delay as long as possible, you know, and use it sparingly, use it for, you know, only certain certain things. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when you when you need to be able to have some, you know, like if I was if I had a newborn or a not a newborn, sorry. If I had a young child now and I was doing this interview, I might go, hey, okay, you can have an hour on YouTube kids or whatever, whatever device, yeah. et cetera. But I wouldn't be using it. And even though my daughter's thanking me, there's sort of there's definitely like you just explained. You know, she deals with that. She, um, I, I haven't really spoken outwardly on my public accounts. My daughter's homeschooled at the moment. She's mm. 15 and she's homeschooled. And the reason she's homeschooled is because yeah. her anxiety and her mental health got so bad last year that it was either I, I take her out of the schooling system and help her, you know, heal and deal with that, or mm. I have a child who had severe anxiety self-harming mental health issues yeah you know all of those things that we're seeing in much bigger grander scale so mm -hmm. yeah so I I applaud you yeah I'll you I I feel like there's two sides of the coin though people will say look they have to learn some ways and that you can't protect them from everything and I understand that too so sometimes I'm still I'm like am I doing the right thing or you know but I mean it's not like they'll never get a device and don't get me wrong they have you know Nintendo switches and they, they play the ps5 and yeah. Yeah. My son watches YouTube for kids and stuff like that. So it's not like they have this awful, bland, boring life. Um, no, of course not. And but, there's no such thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think 
I think people are sometimes surprised as well because I do what I do and I have a you know an Instagram account and all that kind of thing. I think they think I would be this incredibly permissive parent who just lets their kids do whatever. And yeah, it's not that way at all. Yeah, but do you know? I think the thing about like what you're doing is we can still have conversations around this stuff and and encourage healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, etc. And by the time they do get social media and get online, they will have those very core things embedded so that they know what they, because one thing I know from talking to my, my daughter's friends and other teens and young people talking to them, they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to block and report. They're scared to block and report people who treat them badly. They're scared to, you know, uh, they, my 10 year old would be like that. Exactly. So they're tolerating all of this abuse and this bad juju. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the thing as parents, we have to put, we have to ensure that they have these skills in place to be able to cope and handle what happens online because it is scary and it is hard and it can be difficult as well as great. Like we've met through social media. So that's it. So there's positives and negatives. So I I don't think there's any problems. You're doing a great job. (laughs) And I've said to them, I'm like, at some point, you're probably going to be pissed off with me about this. Like, yeah, you, it's going to annoy you. Um, but just know I'm doing it. Well, we're doing it, my husband as well, because we love you and this really matters, you know. Yeah. Um, I think they know that, like, I do a lot of fun stuff with them and I allow for a lot that doesn't matter so much. So I think that's the balance, that they can see that. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, and the main thing is is you're having open conversations with your kids about this stuff, right? Well, yeah, it's not just like, well, no, because I said so. Exactly, exactly. And that That's the difference. And I think, you know, even my daughter said to me the other day, and sometimes I, I get surprised because I have had such open conversation, I'm sure your kids will be the same. Their emotional intelligence is so much higher than kids who don't because my daughter yeah. is so emotionally intelligent she has conversations with adults like she's an adult and even though I wish you know she could have she was still at school every day and and you know had that little bit more time she's going back to year 11 and 12 next year mm-hmm. but you know but she can she can have conversations she knows what the world's about she knows how, I am confident if I was gone tomorrow that my daughter could go into the world and she would be okay like that's how yeah. confident I am of my 15 year old because I think my husband and I have done a really good job of keeping her real and keeping her, you know, like letting her know what the world, what to expect in the world and how to navigate that. Because that's another thing, you know, our job as parents is to help our kids navigate the world and and to be up, be ready to navigate it because it's hard work. My daughter's, I love, I think you call it neurospicy or most people call it neurospicy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my daughter's got ADHD and my husband's got ADHD and and we're we're just starting to think maybe he's got he's autistic as well right so Mm -hmm. we're just and which is weird because he's 42 as well and he's like only just starting to really understand himself so yeah no that's relatable yeah yeah so I'm sure there's like hundreds and thousands of people out there that are like just really starting to understand themselves when they get into their late 30s early 40s so my with my daughter being neurospicy my husband being neurospicy um it's been a real adjustment for me because I who knows I mean I don't think I am but I have PTSD so 
it can it all of that trauma can actually create its own uh mimicking I don't know if you know this but PTSD actually mimics or trauma actually mimics ADHD symptoms in the brain so yeah so they're now thinking you know we've got lots and lots of people and you know I'm not taking away from anyone's journey or what they've been through but they're actually thinking that a lot of people who are displaying ADHD symptoms might be having un the fact that they might have had trauma through childhood can actually mimic yeah. ADHD. ADHD. Be- right. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I guess my biggest takeaway from this conversation is that as parents and I, we need to have these conversations and and you've you've given a real good role model of how to have these conversations. Yeah, well, I, I try and, you know, I don't always get it right. Like I definitely don't think I'm a perfect parent, but there's no such um, that's, yeah, that's right. And that's my aim really through, I guess, what I want to do with the Better Sex Ed Project is there's obviously an adult um, branch of it where yeah. we deal with adult things and there's an education branch of it where yeah. hopefully I can help parents get the tools that they need and to have the conversations that they want to with their kids because a lot of parents do come to me and ask is there a book I should get or how do I say this or you know and I've just really got to get my act together and put together mm-hmm. something comprehensive but but you're studying as well and you're a parent so you're you're studying you're a parent you you know yeah. you're doing all of this stuff so I guess what would your what would your you've got that book that you were talking about that your son and your daughters have looked at. I think I had the same book. What was it mm. called? Um, Making Babies. It was from Big W, I think. Yeah, Making Babies. <laughs> yeah, I oh, I got mine online. But there are a couple that I've got in highlights on my Instagram that are really good. There are some the, by Janine Saunders like, that are more about protective behaviours oh, yes. and that kind of thing and consent. And yeah, she's got great... Um, yeah, they're yeah. they're good starter books. Like and before about you get to that. Yeah, that's it. And there's some about inclusivity and that kind of thing too, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, just start. You know, they never really want a really comprehensive answer either. Like they're really happy with almost happy with just given anything rather than just we'll talk about it later. So if the whole question is like your four year old says, "How do babies get made?" You can start it with, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of like with a the flower. There's a seed and there's an egg and the baby grows. Yeah. And then usually they're like, oh, cool. Cheers. <laughs> and that's it. Like that's you it, can yeah. make it quite basic to start with. You're like what's for dinner? You don't have to go into the nitty gritty for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Puberty is more important really to teach them about to start with, you know, teaching them about their bodies. Oh, and the anatomical terms for their bodies. That is something I'm a bit of a, a stickler for. Using the anatomical terms for their body parts, vulva, penis, testicles, all that sort of thing. They can call it their doodle or whatever around home. That's fine. But as long as they are aware that what, of what the correct term is and that they're not afraid to say it, you're not afraid to say it because more than anything, as you know, it can help. Um, it can't help necessarily protect them from sexual assault but it can help things get identified earlier if they have the right language i was just about to big tick from me because 
I interviewed young children and children who didn't have the right terminology and it was missed for so long from their yeah. carers and their and their people that you know their safe people because they weren't talk they were talking about being abused but they weren't using the terminology that we associate with you know penis vagina vulva testicles whatever and so then it was being missed and that's right um and also knowing that those names ensure that when they get sit down across a table from someone like me when I was a detective and an interviewer, that when, because um, I don't know, most people won't know this, but if unless they name exactly what happens, police can't do anything with their interview. They can't do anything. They might try and investigate further, but they can't, if the child doesn't disclose an abuse, like an actual you know, an indecent dealing or a sexual penetration, then they that then it basically stops there and they can't go any further. So a child needs to know how to say describe a lot of parents wouldn't know that. No. And it's really sad and frustrating as a detective when you know a child's been abused, but they can't put it into words that someone has put something in their whatever and you know that mm. this, it's happened, you know it's happened, but you can't actually put it into words. So then it generally what happens is it gets um, filed insufficient evidence and parents and carers mm. who who want to see something happen and like this person who's actually gone and harmed their child, you know, gets away with harming their child because their child can't disclose and can't, and can't explain what's happened. So it can be hugely frustrating and that's why, you know, from my point of view, that's why it's so important from your point of view, uh, understanding and like you said, it doesn't stop abuse but it can help it from, it can, you know, prevent and reduce harm and further harm if it's it's done right. Mm, Yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing. People get, parents get really stuck on sex but that's a short conversation as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) It's making sure they know their bodies, how their bodies work, children who are assigned female at birth, knowing what cycle is. I mean, I didn't really understand my cycle till I was in my 30s, and that's ridiculous. So much could have been understood about my mental health and that kind of thing if I knew my cycle well. You know, not rushing to put them on the pill because that's not a great thing. You know, all those sorts of things, they're more important to me, I think, than talking about sexual intercourse. (laughs) Yeah, my daughter and I have had been having these conversations since she was 10. She went through puberty at 10 and, you know, she's 15. So she's had five years of menstruation and she, you know, has struggled with that, you know, because a lot of things aren't obvious, you know, the fact that she's got certain cravings and so, and we all just, oh, that's PMS or, oh, that's this, but you know, what's normal and not normal, you know, what's, what should we be investigating and not investigating everything. So, you know, I know that, I, and I wrote it in the book, like I was given no no sex education or sexuality, sexuality education and I had a, my, my stepmom was a nurse and I had mm. no no period knowledge other than what I was taught at school by my male PE teacher. So I'm sure he knew a lot. <laughs> he was very nice and he tried really hard, but you know what I mean, like he's a man who's listening to like, and my daughter pointed out the other day because uh, we did a TikTok about this that sex um, welcome to sex book. She was saying that you know when they went through their sexuality education in year five and six, they were shown the male genitals and had to label them. 
but they weren't shown shown, mm. the, shown female genitals. They didn't yeah. have to label them. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're not important. Didn't you know that? <laughs> like, yeah, well, we yeah. just give birth and continue the human race, and you know, we're the beginning and ending of all creation. But anyway, the frustrating thing is that there is a really excellent framework for sexual education. I know in Victoria, anyway, it's all there. It's all there, but it's a matter of whether the schools pick up on it and deliver it. Yes, and that's a choice on the on their. They get to yeah. choose whether they give it all or don't yeah, give it at all. Yeah, or whether they just get the the vans to come around and do the bare um, bones. Yeah, and my daughter had that last year, and she goes, "Mom, I could have taught that class." <laughs> My daughter probably said the same. She, it's funny, and I know that um you found this hilarious. But my daughter has a boyfriend, right? And they've been together over a year. And she told me a couple of months ago that she gives now and again she'll give him an illustration of a of a vulva and a vagina and like all of the female anatomy, and she and she tells him to label it. (laughs) That's amazing. And I said I to her, why so do you want, why do you do that? And she goes, well, when, whenever we break up, he's going to be the most in tune and knowledgeable boyfriend anyone has ever seen because of me. And I'm like, you should become a sexuality educator. <laughs> she should. She should. We need them desperately. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've thrown that idea out and I think she's thinking about it, but I just want parents to remember that how much they needed when they were kids, yeah? Like how much they needed when they were kids. And what I learned most of my stuff through trial and error, pressure, coercion, scare, fear, you know, and it wasn't like you. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I started really understanding my body and who I was. And by that stage, you know, I've we've wasted so much time. Yeah, so much prime time too. Um, (laughs) Um, all right. Well, um, but also even, sorry, I was just going to say, even think about now as, you know, parents, what are your issues sexually now? And do you think they'd be any different if you had have learned differently from when you were younger and, you know, so think true. about it that way as well. I know. And like, just, just, just let's not let our kids fall into this trap that we fell into. No, that's I don't it. want that for any child. I don't want, like, first of all, my, my prime concern is the abuse, like, restricting and preventing harm but the second one is is how about we just help our kids be healthy and happy and and you know help as healthy and happy as they can be you know they've got there's so much in this conversation you know we're responsible for so so much but we're not responsible for it all so let's not take it all on as out you know for us but yeah um last question so I ask everyone this because in my mind when I was writing my book and when I was like I was on a mission to do something with all that knowledge I had, right, and I kept thinking if parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. What do you wish parents knew that you think if they knew it, they would do things differently? Uh, the statistics that you provide about the abusers most likely being some of the children will know, being really aware of that, not just being aware of it but really taking it on. Yeah. Um, that's sort of really hit home for me. Not that, to say that I'm suspicious of everybody, but I can say like we've had someone came into our life and they were a friend of a friend and they were super, super enthusiastic about our kids and getting to know them. And they're like, hey, they can come with me to do this. And my instant 
reaction was like, mm, no, <laughs> red flag. Like, and it, they're probably fine, but like just being a bit more aware of those kinds of things, that to me is really important. And thinking about where your kids are having sleepovers and what the situations are when they go there. And I'm pretty strict on that stuff too. Yeah. So that's that's something I'd like parents to think about in relation to, you know, what you're all about. Yeah, well, just not trusting everyone. Like, yeah. honest, honestly, I get why, I get that people are, it's also really awkward to say no to people. I get that. Like, it, re- it really is. I've had a few situations where it's been like, can someone say come for a sleepover? And I'm like, mm, no, I don't yeah. feel good about it. Like, yeah. it just doesn't feel good, you know? Yeah. And you know, like I would suggest parents come up with some ways to say no, like, oh, we we're, yeah. we don't we don't do so we don't do sleepovers or yeah, um, you know, uh, actually we're a bit busy that weekend. Sorry, yeah. uh, maybe the following weekend they can come to our house. Like, if you feel comfortable having them at your house, yeah, um, yeah. you know, like, and this is another consent education type topic, but being okay with no people. Some people, I had my daughter had a friend who would har- harass and hound her. And her mum would harass and hound her. Like it wasn't just, they would not accept a no. And yeah, it was so cool. weird. That says a lot about them, but, you know. It does say a lot about them. About but I know, but <laughs> at the same time, like, you know, if no is a, a complete sentence and if we don't teach our kids that no is a complete sentence, then they are going to be that person who coerces, controls, forces, and, and they could become the perpetrator. Mm. So... I just really want people to think about, you know, it's okay to say no to other people. It's okay to say no to your family. It's okay to yeah. say no and listen to your gut. Um, we didn't get to the conversation yeah. about early warning signs, but what you were just describing was your early warning yeah. signs about, you know, something's not right here and and listening to those because we've been taught not to listen to them. Yeah, and there's a way to say no that's not offensive as well. Like, you know, <laughs> you can. there's lots of ways to say no. So... That's what yeah. I try to teach them because I think a lot of people get funny about their, that. They're like, no one wants to upset anyone. So yes. like, well, I can't just tell them to say no. It's like, no, but be creative. Like yeah. think about it for two seconds. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've gotten to the point where no is no and if you keep harassing me, I'm going to get really snarky. But at the same time. um could be more than no. but but at the same time, you're right. Like there is creative ways to say no. And maybe that's a, that's a post to put up like you know how to say no to someone (laughs) um well thank you so much Jess I really appreciate you jumping on we had some technical difficulties at the start and a little bit of (laughs) you know internet issues it's just started raining so that might have been why my internet was playing up so but yeah thank you so much and this is a conversation that we continue to have it's not a one and done conversation is it it's it's Mm -hmm. little conversations over over forever really that's it yeah like there's so many so much more we could talk about so yeah yeah, thank you for having me it's been lovely oh and good luck with starting back at uni next week thank you thank you for listening to this podcast episode education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse that is why i'm here and that is why you are here so thank you If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. 
You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kidsafe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kidsafe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.